0: Theme of this year's Gastein um, looking at the European Health Union and the potential in that. And we think, those of us working in cancer, that the beating cancer plan it could be a forerunner. The success or otherwise of Europe's beating cancer plan will probably give us a strong indication about whether we can work across borders in Europe over the medium term to long term to reduce inequalities in health across the board, and not only in cancer. Um, It's good to be back in person. After three years, in 2019, the three organisations involved in hosting this session were were here, and we've been virtual ever since. Back in 2019, the FPA Oncology Platform and the European Cancer Patient uh, Coalition, as well as the European Cancer Organisation, were calling for a European Cancer Dashboard that was ahead of the consultation on the Beating Cancer Plan. And of course, the Beating Cancer Plan led us to the concept of a cancer inequalities registry that we'll be discussing later. In this session, we're going to have two panel discussions. I'm pleased to be joined by Thomas Hofmarker from the Swedish Institute of Economics. We'll welcome Thomas. Ivana Cataneo, who represents the uh, FPR Oncology Platform as their chair and Andreas Hauelambus, the president of the European Cancer Organization, uh, an eminent uh, professor in uh, oncology nursing. You can probably tell he's my boss. So um, welcome to Andreas, Ivana, and Thomas. And later in this session, we'll be joined by leaders from the European Parliament, from the European Commission, from OECD, and from the WHO. And very importantly, we'll be hearing more about the patient voice and the patient view of inequalities in cancer care. Now we want this to be a dynamic session with the, with the audience that we have here in Gastein and all of you watching online. There's a slide on Slido, which we're using throughout um, this uh, Gastein uh, event. Slido.com, you use the keyword Luna, And that's where you can feed in your questions whether you're with us here in the room or with us online. And I'm pleased to say that Anna Teufel from the Young Gasteiners team is sitting in the corner watching over us and we'll be gathering those questions together and bringing them into the debate with our two panels today. Um, Before we get going, we wanted to tell you a little bit about, let's see if I can go to this slide, the European Cancer Pulse which um, is going to be launched in November and, as you can see on the screen, is a new data visualisation tool to track inequalities in cancer and improvements across Europe. We've been, together with our colleagues at the FPO Oncology Platform, we've been in conversations with OECD, with the European Commission, with IARC, about how we can best complement the work that they're doing, including on the Cancer Inequalities Registry, to ensure that we have something that's public-facing, something that tracks inequalities, but importantly tracks the improvements that are made, we hope, through the Beating Cancer Plan. The idea is that this tool will be complementary to um, the Inequalities Registry, and it will be launched on the 16th of November at the European Cancer Summit. I'll be telling you a little bit more about the Pulse uh, shortly, but the foundation of the data within the European Cancer Pulse is based on great work that's been done by the Swedish Institute of Economics. Their research director, Thomas Hofmarker, will tell us more. Thomas, over to you.
1: Thank you, Mike, for this introduction. Schönen guten Morgen. Good morning, everyone. It's a great honor to be here today. So my name is Thomas Hofmacher. I'm a health economist at the Swedish Institute for Health Economics. And I've been doing research on cancer and cancer policy in Europe for almost 10 years now. Uh, And I'd like to start my presentation by reminding ourselves why the fight against cancer is so important. So between 1995 and 2018, the number of new cancer cases in Europe has increased from around 2 million cases to 3 million cases per year, a 50% increase. At the same time, the number of deaths has increased by 20% from 1.2 to 1.5 million deaths. Um, 20% uh, is less than 50%, so we actually see from that already some improvements that have been going on during the past decades. Uh, So more and more patients are surviving cancer in Europe, and that's a great thing. But what this graph here also shows you, is what would happen if we would stop fighting cancer. Uh, If we would stop fighting cancer, then purely our expected demographic development, our aging populations in Europe, will drive up the number of cancer cases uh, to 4 million, uh, almost 4 million by the year 2040, and the number of deaths to 2 million. And we don't want that, we don't want to get there, so we have to do something. Uh, And I'd also like to put these numbers a little bit into perspective. That's done in the box to the bottom right. So here uh, it says that almost half of us will at some point in our lives get a cancer diagnosis, which is why cancer is so scary to so many people. But we also know that 30 to 50 percent of all new cancer cases are actually preventable because they're caused by modifiable modifiable risk factors like smoking, alcohol, alcohol, obesity, infection with HPV. Um, We also know that cancer is the second leading cause of death in Europe right now, and it's the second leading cause of disease burden, always uh, behind cardiovascular diseases. But we also know that in some countries, um, cancer has now already claimed the top spot. And uh, apart from the disease burden, cancer causes also an economic burden on our societies, So our research at IHE shows, for instance, that uh, in the year 2018, we probably spent around 100 billion euros on cancer care. And uh, 100 billion euros might sound like a lot, but it's actually just 6% of our total health expenditure that goes into cancer care. Um, We also calculated the indirect cost of cancer, uh, so the productivity loss that arises from the fact that cancer patients uh, are on sick leave, uh, have to retire early or die prematurely. And those indirect costs amount to around 70 billion euros. They have been decreasing over time slightly. That is due to the fact that survival has become better over the past few decades. Um, there's also informal care costs. They're more challenging to estimate, but they amount to around uh, 30 billion euros. So the total impact of cancer on our society is around 200 billion euros per year. Um, so, apart from, um, or I, I hope that you understand now that the fight against cancer is, is important, but what's also important is to, is to tackle cancer comprehensively. So, we need to focus on the four key areas of cancer control. Those are the circle on, on this graph here, so that we need to focus on prevention, early detection, which includes screening, on diagnosis and treatment, and on survivorship. But we should also not forget the aims of uh, cancer care. So we want to reduce the risk to get cancer. And we want to improve cancer survival and the quality of life of patients. So that's why I added this box at the top, saying contextual factors, the burden of cancer. We want to reduce the burden of cancer. Uh, But we also want to reduce inequalities. And we want to support research and access to innovation. Because without access to innovation, we won't see any more progress in, in cancer care. Uh, And that's why there's this second gray box at the bottom, uh, where we say it's also important to think about cancer governance, about how much we're spending on cancer care, and about having good and appropriate data on cancer care. And data is really uh, important. We really need to start measuring and assessing cancer care. Uh, We already can measure a lot, and uh, on this slide... Uh, On the left, I'm showing you some examples of inequalities in in, in cancer care in the EU. So, for example, the five-year survival rate for breast cancer ranges from 89% in Sweden to 74% in Lithuania. The HPV HPV vaccination rate among girls, 97% in Malta, but only 2% in Bulgaria. It's crazy. Uh, Same thing for screening rate for breast cancer, 95% in Sweden, which probably explains why Sweden also ends up at the top when it comes to the survival rate. Uh, only 9% in Romania, access to new cancer medicines, 100% in Germany, 15% in Latvia. So enormous inequalities in the EU. Um, the European Commission, as Mike has said in the introduction, already attempts to showcase some of these inequalities in its European Cancer Inequalities <coughs> Registry. <Sorry. laughs> Don't worry. So that's... Uh, that's. Uh, the numbers are stunning, right? So, yeah. So, Shocking. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, um, so this inequalities registry is a website. You you can you can go in and and, and see uh, the, some of these inequalities. And this registry, it's part of Europe's beating cancer plan. The plan was launched uh, in February February last year, and it's uh, it's a great accomplishment. This plan, I I love it. Um, it's very ambitious, also, with 10, 10 flagship initiatives. But my concern with Europe's meeting cancer plan is really that even though we have these ambitions, healthcare policy and especially healthcare provision is the exclusive competence of the member states. Mm -hmm. So in order to achieve these ambitions, uh, reach these goals that uh, the plan sets out, the the plan also needs the buy-in from from the member states. And there are two positive examples that I want to, to highlight. So both Romania and Czechia launched new national cancer plans Earlier this year, in reference to uh, and modeled on your breastfeeding cancer plan. That's great, but those are only two out of 27 member states, so we would like to see 25 more member states doing the same thing. Um, We at IHE, and I think also um, ECHO, FPA, and uh, ECPC would agree uh, that we believe in this notion that what gets measured gets done, so, in reference to the to the slide that I showed you before, with these four key areas of cancer control, so these four circles, if you remember, and these two grey boxes, um, we have done some systematic research at IHE in collaboration with Professor Niels Wilking from the Karolinska Institute, in order to a systematic work in order to pin down what we ideally want to measure when it comes to cancer care, and what we can measure already. Uh, uh, currently in terms of cancer quality of cancer care in Europe so in the column that says uh, measurable you see there's lots of green color green means we can measure things Uh, there's also a longer version with a bit more indicators that are red but I just couldn't fit them onto the slide Um, and this slide also shows you a comparison with what is currently in the Commission's inequalities registry Uh, you see that there it's quite slim in in some areas So we believe there is room for improvement for the inequalities registry, but we also believe, as Mike said, there is room for some complementary attempts to really map the current situation of of cancer care in Europe in uh, in a comprehensive way. So in in conclusion, uh, I believe it's high time, really high time to systematically measure and assess the quality of cancer care in Europe with relevant indicators. And we need to improve the data collection. Um, so on the slide before, you saw that there was lots of green in this column called measurable, um, but there are still some important gaps. And what's maybe even more important is that we need timely provision of data. So we, need, we would like to have now data for 2021, but in many instances, we have data only for 2014, 2018, 2019. We want to have up-to-date data. And we also want to be able to track data over time, uh, in order to hold policymakers accountable for the promises, but also for external stakeholders, like all of us, to help help policymakers achieve their ambitions. Because um, I mean let's face this, the, the fight against cancer, the fight against cancer, it can only be won by pooling all of our brains and working together. So with that, I'd like to conclude my, my presentation. Thank you very much for listening. Let's
0: thank Thomas for his presentation. I'm always struck by Thomas's passion for the subject when he when he talks about this. And I thought what you were saying about HPV vaccination alone, mate, was uh, was huge. And this is the reason that we want to do this. This is meant to be a complementary effort by our European Cancer community to support the work on inequalities. We will be using data in the Pulse that will um, not be available in all 27 EU member states. And if we go to this next slide, um, let's go back one, You you can see a little bit more about the European Cancer Pulse and the work that we'll be doing together, and we'd love to get your feedback and contribution. It was inspired, in a way, by something we did during the COVID period. We had a campaign called Time to Act, and you can see more on timetoactcancer.com. We had a data navigator there, and um, that's being uh, enhanced all the time. In fact, it'll be upgraded next month with data from 27, 29 countries, 29 European countries, and, and categorized by tumor type as well for the first time in one place. It's a public facing tool, with data on the impact of COVID on cancer. And it inspired us to do something similar um, on inequalities generally. So it's an interactive map that that includes data from the whole of the European Union, uh, the European region, not just the EU27. And the data is divided and subdivided in different ways. It will be divided by the cancer pathway, the burden, The whole pathway of the uh, europe's beating cancer plan in terms of prevention screening early detection diagnosis and treatment as well as survivorship and quality of life issues um, as well as patient access cancer research and national cancer policy initiatives as thomas was talking about earlier and in terms of inequalities that will be included not for every country but for the countries where we can find that data Uh, you can see on your screen all the different types of inequalities that will be included in the pulse. And when we launch it next uh, in November, it will be just the start because we want to continue to uh, use that, um, use the European Cancer Pulse, uh, getting data from official sources, um, like the Cancer Inequalities Registry, from IHE as well, We're also using our community of oncologists, nurses, pharmacists, patient groups. All of them have access to data and initiatives using those, as well as literature reviews, as well as the opportunity for other organisations to submit um, data. And the impact, as we've been explaining, is to try and map where inequalities are, not to be a yellow card and a red card, to different countries, but to show improvement, to show, to motivate us to improve and highlight where we're not doing a great job on implementation of uh, the different initiatives included in the Beating Cancer Plan and the cancer mission. So to talk about this, we're gonna talk to Ivana and Andreas in a second. Don't forget the Slido thing um, that's hashed, uh, the uh, keyword is Luna, there you go. If you want to ask a question, Anna's standing by there, and we'll have questions on this, uh, on this topic. But, Andreas, I know you were meeting Stella Kiriakidis last week. Why is inequality such a hot topic for you and your organisation? Thank you,
2: Mike. Good morning, everyone. Um, well, it, it's quite a, a complex question. It can, be, it can be answered in different levels. For example... Uh, there is a, a financial perspective when we are speaking to uh, inequalities because it has a, an impact on the healthcare systems in terms of um, draining more resources or requiring reallocation of resources in order to tackle those inequalities. If we are speaking from an institutional point of view, we do know that inequalities can jeopardise the implementation for example of the EU beating cancer plan because we will be failing to meet uh, the expectations and the targets set by by the plan and, and the Commission and of course there is the, the ethical perspective because inequalities by definition means that we are not uh, providing uh, on equal terms the healthcare to the population. And unfortunately, inequalities is not something recent. It has been out there. It it started to be recorded since the 80s. I mean, one of the first reports on inequalities was in the UK, and it was actually called the Black Report, putting and placing emphasis on these discrepancies in, in health delivery, and those health discrepancies impact the country as a whole, because inequalities do not happen in a social vacuum. Those experiencing inequalities sooner or later through a chain reaction of events will also uh, influence the others. So in a nutshell, I would say that it is a complex issue that needs the
0: proper attention. And Ivana, from your perspective...
3: Yes, thank you and uh, good morning and welcome to everyone. Um, Inequality matters. If I think uh, um, to our vision within the FP Oncology platform, we have to work towards eradicating inequality. Our vision there is that every cancer patient in Europe uh, can have access to the care they need and all our work goes in that direction. And that's why inequalities, or tackling inequalities for us, matters. The inequalities pose a tremendous burden on the individuals, but equally they affect uh, our society and our uh, economy. It's material, beyond the the burden to the single person. Just imagine that uh, the healthcare costs linked to inequality, they impact our uh, European GDP of something like 9.4%, and I'm looking at Thomas, you can confirm. Conversely, and there is always uh, a good news uh, in, in life, if we would be able to reduce the gap in, in life expectancy by 50%, there as well we would have a positive impact uh, on the European GDP in the range of uh, 4. something like that. So, we have a case. We need urgently to act against inequalities for the burden they represent on individual, but also for the burden they represent uh, on society. And we can start from cancer, because as we heard from Thomas this morning, uh, cancer is uh, responsible for uh, one out of four deaths in Europe. It's the second leading cause of death after cardiovascular, and unfortunately, if we don't do anything, it is projected to be the leading cause. So that's something uh, really we would not like to see, we would not like to see happening. At the same time, we know that 40% of the burden that this disease poses can be tackled, can be preventable in a way, if we work uh, with timely access to screening, to diagnosis, to treatment, to care, and cure. But unfortunately, Europe is not one. So across Europe, the probability of having uh, a timely diagnosis and timely intervention varies tremendously. It's really like somebody said, uh, a a lottery of postal code. Depending on where you live, you can have faster access uh, uh, to cancer knowledge, diagnosis, cure or you can even have no access at all. And I think this is just unacceptable. I think if we want to talk about Europe, if if we want to talk about the founding values of our uh, Europe and talk about solidarity, until when we have inequalities around, this cannot happen. That's why I think there is a case for all of us to get together, pull forces, row in the same direction, tackling the true root of inequalities, as as you said, um, working collectively together with European institutions, and really tackling them from the root, so not just the apparent cause, but really the determinant of the inequalities. And honestly, we can do that. Because in this moment, if I think to everything which is going on in Europe, uh, from the European Cancer Plan, the cancer mission, the pharma strategy, the, the European L data space, the, the health technology regulation, we have all the ingredients to do that. Sometime I just think that maybe we should be a little bit more amb- ambitious and look at all these initiatives with a different approach. I I, I like to call it with a success by design strategic approach because often we face all of these initiatives in silos, whereas we probably need to look at them transversally, holistically, in coordination, and in that way we can leverage them to really tackle inequalities. And just before I conclude, I want to remind everybody that there is a clear vision put forward by the um, cancer mission, which is to save three million lives by 2030. I think we can say we are already at the end of 2022, so we really need to hurry up if we want to meet that vision.
0: Well said, Ivana. Thomas, when you were doing the work that you've been doing um, on this and identifying the gaps that you've identified... um, do you see any reasons behind it? Gaps in data in some member states, for example, and others. Do you? And, and to what extent do you think the pulse can highlight where we've got gaps and where we, where we need to fill them?
1: No, I, I think it's actually very important to highlight the gaps. So even though you have a, like a map of Europe, and there are some some grey countries, uh, I think it's very important to put the spotlight on these countries and and uh, uh, basically encourage them to. Uh, to get a relevant data, because um, what we want to focus on is not just to collect, collect any kind of data, but the relevant ones, so the ones that we really think can make a difference. Uh, and I think if there is agreement amongst us that these are relevant indicators, then hopefully also the member states will understand, uh, okay, yes, these are relevant indicators. We need to uh, collect missing data.
0: Mm. And this goes back, Ivana, to, as I was saying at the beginning, the session we had three years ago, which Alexander was uh, involved in for when he was uh, chairing the FPO oncology platform about what, measure, what gets measured gets done. Isn't one of the risks of big initiatives like the Beating Cancer Plan and the Cancer Mission that there's a lot of talk and the devil's in the implementation and at the end of it all, people are frustrated both in the cancer community, in uh, individual countries, but also in governments and policymakers that actually did it What did it really make a difference?
3: Yes, and I I do remember, and I'm happy to see Alexander here. uh, We we came here together, um, as you mentioned also, Mike, uh, ECO, ECPC, and the FP Oncology platform, I think starting in 2018, when we were uh, really calling, like, loud and clear, like, uh, cancer is a societal issue. So there is, as I said, a burden on the individual, but... Because cancer is a disease of the aging and not of the age, it takes people in the prime of their, uh, their life. Uh, when they are uh, building their family, realizing their dreams, their future, uh, earning their wages. And it has huge impact on uh, future well-being, on family stability, but also on society, so on productivity. Uh, absenteeism, presenteeism, and already today uh, the, the dependency ratio in Europe is quite worrying. So we were calling for a plan back in 2018, the three organizations, luckily we were not alone. The cancer community has been very compact in calling for a plan, and we were super lucky because European institutions, they listened to the voice of the community, and we came to the plan. But Mike, a plan is a plan. Uh, 32, I think, nice pages. If it doesn't move to implementation, it's just a nice document. And to move to implementation, here is where we really need a measurement system. And I, I know we were super criticized back uh, in, uh, in 19, when we start saying what get measured, get done. Uh, it, I know it's a, it's a language we have in companies, in industry. I know in company in industry, we talk about uh, KPIs, key performance indicator. But call it whatever name. If we want to put a plan in motion and implement, we need to be able to track the implementation. We need to have some indicators that tell us, yes, guys, you are going in the right direction. Oh, wait a second, you are deviating. Oh, listen, we need more focus on that. KPIs, sorry for the term, or... uh, dashboard measurement indicator you choose the term you like they keep all of us accountable in the implementation because in every situation even with the cancer plan there is a pre situation pre the cancer plan and a situation once the cancer plan would have been implemented an indicator or a set of indicators will give us the sense did we really make progress did we really materialize what we had on paper and i think That's why we really welcome when the the cancer plan came out with uh, with the inequality registry, and now then we are going to talk also about European Cancer paths. Because if you also think broad, we are doing this for cancer. But ultimately, cancer can really be a blueprint for all other disease areas. It can be a proxy area where citizens and all of us, we can see what the European institution and collectively we can do to tackle an issue. And then whichever good thing or good result we reach in cancer, it can be applied to every disease area if we measure it. If we keep simple, concrete, pragmatic, KPIs done.
0: Thanks, Ivana. Um, Anna, I saw on the, uh, on the uh, pad that you give me here that there's a, a question from Raymond I thought was very interesting. Do you want to go for that one? I think it's for Thomas.
4: Yes, sure. Thank you. Um, He says, health inequalities go beyond inequalities observed between countries. Obtaining equality data is a long-standing challenge. Can you elaborate on the more recent lessons learned? I'm sorry. Gathering data on the social determinants just mentioned on the slide.
0: Yeah, because, Thomas, people think of inequalities often in the geographical sense, East-West. But the pulse is going to include some data where it's available on sexuality, uh, migrants, marginalized communities how difficult it is to gather data on that?
1: That's super tricky, um, so
0: that's a short answer.
1: No, I, I mean, we, I think the first step ha- has to be to, to uh, measure inequalities between countries. Uh, then maybe we can go uh, actually into countries and measure uh, difference in, in, in access to, to cancer care in regions. So for instance, the, the nine provinces of Austria. But then when it comes to individual determinants, um, maybe age is, is possible, sex of course, um, is, is probably also uh, possible in many, many instances. But then other dimensions, for instance, migrants access uh, mm. to, uh, to good cancer care, that's, that's very tricky to measure because we, uh, I've never seen it actually, because we, we would need to start really bringing in essentially a new variable into our data system that tells you this is a, a, a local citizen, this is a, a foreign citizen or one that is born, born abroad. We, we don't do this currently.
2: Just, just to add to what Thomas is saying, in terms of the immigrants' population, there are studies in terms of access to screening programs, and um, obviously the studies show clearly that uh, these marginalised populations have much less access compared to, to local population. So, but like you said, the evidence is not strong enough and do not cross borders, in a sense, for now.
0: Thanks, Andreas and Thomas, and thanks, Raymond, for your question. Don't forget you can join the conversation on Slido using the keyword Luna, and let us have your your questions. Andreas, for you represent an organisation with oncologists, nurses, pharmacists, and patient groups. To what extent is the inequalities issue strategically important during this period of the implementation of the, the Beating Cancer Plan?
2: Well... Within uh, the European Cancer Organization um, and its strategy, inequalities uh, hold a prominent uh, place. For example, in our strategy since 2020, um, when we reformed the strategy of the organization, we have a specialized network of um, people and member societies uh, emphasizing and placing efforts in tackling inequalities um, across the cancer care continuum. It's called the Health Inequalities Focus Topic Network. And this network is active on the ground, but also um, on policy level. And as early as 2020, um, our network has uh, launched uh, a report, uh, it can be done, beating inequalities in health care, introducing specific steps and issues that uh, policymakers um, both on the EU level but also on a national level, could focus on in order to facilitate um, tackling inequalities across the uh, the continuum. But also um, the European Council Organization strategically moving actually to the implementation of the plan, aspects of the plan, um, and this is the reason why we believe that uh, the European uh, cancer pulse is necessary because it complements the EU um, inequalities registry, which realistically speaking will only be collecting data from official uh, registries, and it will only demonstrate and um, reflect on data comparable within the member states. So a lot of data, as Thomas uh, already mentioned, as uh, Ivana and Mike mentioned, a lot of data will remain unrecorded. And at the end of the day, inequalities is not just geographical comparisons. Okay, it might be difficult, but um, our organization has developed Um, a ground intelligence network also um, uh, as a result of the recent uh, ukrainian war but also as a result of the covid pandemic so we have the tools to collect those data in order to build a more comprehensive picture of inequalities across europe and not just in the eu of 27 member states
0: thomas there's a couple of questions there that we've seen uh Coming in about patient experience and patient reported outcomes where, where does that fit into the data that is available on inequalities
1: yes yeah, so so that that was one of the red areas unfortunately, so we 're really lacking good and comparable data on uh, on patient experience, quality of life. There are of course some bits and pieces, but it 's nothing that is available uh, systematically I also another question on, on access to biomarker testing. For that, for instance, we have more systematic data, so that that we can measure. But when it comes to the patient experience, uh, I I believe we need to to do a a lot more.
0: And Ivana, um, there's a question here from Tillman, uh, I saw uh, from MSD, about how do we turn the European cancer pulse away from being a yellow card, red card scoring system which punishes or appears to punish individual countries towards an encouragement towards a you know a proactive but supportive encouragement to reduce inequalities
3: yes and 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 thank you for the question because the intention of the european cancer pulse has never been to be an antagonist of the inequality registry first of all and has never been to be a yellow red card uh, as as you said but more uh, really a tool to say listen are we focusing on the right things are we really tapping into the knowledge uh, which we collectively have and uh, and we need to be evidence-based so with the data that we have uh, which action we we can do so as you know the Two things I would like to to say. When we have indicators, the indicators, they can be a little bit normative. So they are not a law, but they they somehow have a power to cluster around themselves some focus, some attention, capacity, capability, money, and then they they steer action in a certain direction. At the same time, a set of indicators may become uh, a little bit complex. So that's why it's also important with the, the, the cancer pulse that we, we speak the language of, the, of my neighbor. My neighbor, the citizen, they need to understand what we are uh, doing. So, the intention for us is really to complement what is there in the inequality registry, but also to send the message that yes, we are all rowing in the same direction. Citizens are understanding. If they want what what is happening, and we can all really focus on the indicators that that matter. And by focusing, uh, I believe a lot in the, the the collective knowledge. So there is a lot that uh, people can bring to the table in order really to not to focus on the issue, but per se, but to focus on the issue to find the solution. So not to have a yellow card, but really to say, okay, bon, realize we have an issue here, we have a problem, what can be done? And that, in that sense, we were also calling for the indicators to be forward-looking. So yes, to measure the past, what we have, but also to steer the future, which solution can be there. Ultimately, as I was we were discussing this morning, I think it's clear to many of us that the true enemy is cancer. So it's not a fight uh, east and west, one country against the other, one institution, because until when we lose time in penalizing each other, yellow card to each other, the true enemy out there, cancer, is going to win. So the indicator may also cluster all our willingness, no judgment, just evidence, act on that, go. Because 2030, it's just in eight years from now, so we need to hurry up.
0: In a second, I'm going to go to Anna, because there's a couple of questions, one from Ines and one from Mark, around prevention, which I'd like to come to. But first, Thomas, did you see the question about housing and the inequalities around... There's lots of housing data, apparently, and could that be used, data on housing, and where people live and the kinds of areas that they live um, to what extent could that be used in terms of the social aspect of inequalities in cancer care?
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Maybe this could be like a, an approximation to to to, to capture um, vulnerable groups, because um, um, you know, if if we know or can be certain that they live in certain areas and you can measure outcomes in these areas, then we can more e- easily be well, well measure their. Uh, um, how, how well they do in terms of uh, access to cancer care. So maybe that, yeah, that, that could be a, a possible way, but I think, well, from a research perspective, I, I think it's very ambitious to, to do it this way.
0: Well, I think we'd like to find out more about it for sure. So whoever contributed that question, please come and talk to us afterwards. Anna.
4: Thank you. Ines asked: as around 40% of the cancer burden is preventable, shouldn't the focus be on cancer prevention and also measuring inequalities with cancer-preventable risk factors such as viral hepatitis? And do you want me to read the first question as well? Between um, prevention screening, treatment and post-cancer care, is inequality evenly spread or do geographics move a different speed between these areas? Is there one area that improving would make the biggest difference?
0: Andreas?
2: Well, it's, uh, thank you. Thank you, Mike. They're very uh, interesting questions. I would say that um, the efforts, as the inequalities registry uh, point out, is across the cancer continuum. So I would say in terms of impact, as Mark is uh, addressing the question, I would say that um, if we manage to minimise or eradicate inequalities in terms of prevention, obviously uh, the impact will be um, much more in terms of um, outcomes compared to, to the others. But also screening. I would say those two could have um, a huge impact. Thomas? So i mean I, I I agree with
1: Andreas, but I think it's really important not to start cherry picking and and picking one area over the others it's really important to address cancer comprehensively um, and prevention yes it's it's very important, but the thing with prevention is that if we for instance, start to reduce smoking rates now, they're already decreasing in men at least in, in europe but if if we the effect of decreasing smoking rates will only translate into reductions in the number of lung cancer cases in about 20 years from now. Because a smoker that is 35 years old will not get cancer uh, when he or she is 36 years old, but when he or she is 55 years old or 60 years old or 70 years old. So we have to consider this time lag. But this also means that we really need to uh, invest in in prevention now as much as possible, but realizing the effects of that will materialize in, in, in 10, 20 years from now. But during this time, we should not forget about the cancer patients that have cancer right now. So only focusing on prevention doesn't mm. make sense. We need to focus on those patients that have cancer right now, improved
0: diagnosis uh, and treatment and survivorship. Thanks, Thomas. Final word from Ivana before we go to our, to our guests who are standing by.
3: I just wanted to, to pick up on this point on prevention, which is super important. And thank you, Thomas, for underlining the fact that we need to act on the entire continuum. I like numbers, as you may have noticed. 40% is preventable. To me, always sounds like 60% is not. So to me, is if we want to succeed, we need to work uh, also on the 60%, so we really need to continue to work on research, on bringing innovation to Europe, on keeping Europe at the forefront of innovation, because we are talking about inequality within Europe, but there is the serious risk that Europe is losing ground compared to other parts of the world. And that will not make me happy, because I am a European citizen, I don't want to have inequality already at the start, before, even our regulator uh, access uh, intervention that are coming to Europe. We need to continue research because, unfortunately for cancer, there is a genetic origin. There is a lot that we don't understand collectively yet. So we really need the institution to help us maintaining high the bar on research, maintaining high the flagship that Europe has as a global innovator.
0: What a link mentioning the institutions, Ivano. I could count on you. So let's go live to our policymaker and expert colleagues who are joining us. Um, they don't look so live there, but um, we're go- I think we're going to go to them live. There you go. I can see uh, John, I can see Caroline, I can see Andre smiling, and I can see Sarah getting ready. Hi, Sarah. Nice to see you all. Thank you for joining us. I hope you've been able to listen to some of that conversation that we've been but we've been having here in, in Gastein, and you're very welcome. Sarah Curtis, of course, is one of the leading MEPs on on health, given her background as a, a medical doctor. Sarah's from Portugal. John Ryan is Deputy Director General at DG Sante. Caroline Burcher, some of you haven't maybe met before. She's a health economist at OECD, and now she is leading the work on, for OECD, on the can, Cancer Inequalities Registry. And Andrei Ilbowie, um leads uh, for the WHO on cancer around the world. So you're all very welcome, a distinguished panel joining us here. Sarah, I know you are shooting off at some point to the NV Committee. So interested to um, hear from you first. And also many of us have been following with interest what's been going on in the COVID committee where the special committee on on COVID where you play a leading role and of course inequalities is all all, has been historically about the national competence issue and uh, the question of cross-border intervention by the European Union. Do you think that um, COVID has helped establish the cross-border collaboration needed in in healthcare and how do you think we can make make, think about this moonshot idea of european health union how do you think we can translate what happened during covid into uh beating inequalities not just in cancer but across healthcare sarah i don't think we can hear you sarah let's just see if that's you or us um
5: of course, I, I tried ah, to start are. without the muted uh, microphone, sorry.
0: No worries, Sarah, welcome.
5: Um, good morning, everyone. Uh, it's such a pleasure to be here with uh, very interesting discussions. I, I tried to follow a bit the, the previous panel. Uh, it's indeed uh, a pleasure to be here and speak a bit more of how can the EU advance uh, tackling inequalities and especially the impact of inequalities on cancer and cancer care. We, we have that a pre-COVID and post-COVID EU for health. Um, and for you to have an idea, and John Ryan is here, cannot will not let me lie, the, 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 the financing for the EU health program before the pandemic, the pro- uh, proposal was 500,000 uh, euros. And this during the pandemic has been raised to almost 10 times fold. What does this mean? Um, it means that it we raise the momentum again the momentum about the true importance that health has in our societies and we managed to do another thing to query uh translate what is in article 168 we know that through the treaties health is a member state's competence and that's what i heard when i started in the european parliament in 2019 however if we go deeply to through the treaties, we know that provision of healthcare is a Member State's competence. However, protection of public health is a shared competence between Member States, the twenty-seven countries and the european union and this is where we can play an important role this is how we advance the reports here from the parliament uh, on the european beating cancer plan which was a reaction to the to the important plan that the commission um introduced and this was only possible because of uh, the biggest health emergency in the last century uh, that um, hit the whole globe This was only possible with COVID. So I think now we cannot uh, lose momentum. We need to understand and we must uh, keep health at the center of our agendas because how can we tackle inequalities to better streamline um, reducing inequalities? Uh, we, We have, through the different policies in the EU, we can have a role to take when it comes to health. If we have a health in all policies approach, we can understand that if we legislate and the EU has competence on that, if we legislate on the quality of the air we breathe, on the quality of the water we drink, on on, uh, the exposure to risk factors for instance, environmental risk factors, on exposure to other non-risk factors for cancer, such as uh, regulating tobacco products, regulating um, substances that uh, are harmful for the development of cancer. We all have competence on that, and this is where we can act in order to reduce inequalities. Of course, I can unveil more specific uh, topics on this. Sure. But I think... The most important part here is to understand that we still don't know. Also, we still don't know half of the risk factors that cause cancer. uh, Half of the causes of cancer are unknown. And I think as the EU, as a whole, we have the tools to make... Um, better improvements on the research to understand what are the other uh, 50% of risk cancers in order for us to then reduce those 40% avoidable deaths by per year by cancer in the
0: EU. And Sarah, for you as a leading parliamentarian, to what extent do you and your colleagues rely on data to shine a light on issues related to inequalities? To what extent... Do you make policy decisions and take positions in the European Parliament based on the data that's in front of you?
5: Um, That's a very interesting question, but I would like to to comment that it's not only about the data. Data is of the utmost importance, but if the data is not translated into information and then into evidence and used... Uh, for information, that's how we act, through the information part. Of course, we're very, very much looking forward to start working on um, the new European health data space regulation. For instance, I would like to congratulate uh, the European Cancer Organization for launching the Time to Act uh, data tool, which is really interesting data to see, and that's uh, an example of how data can give us information in order for us to act. I truly believe when we are in a political role that we need to have the best evidence available in order for us to have the most uh, comprehensive and tailored suited um, policies developed. So it's for me, it's a, it's a core center among the work that I develop in the European Parliament to have good data that in afterwards will be translated of course by scientists into better health information for us to get a clear photography or a clear video of what's going on at that moment in time and how we can better um address uh for instance the different inequalities
0: and sarah sorry to pick on you before you go to the envy committee but we're trying to get the best sound bites from you before you leave Um, To what extent will the success of the Beating Cancer Plan or otherwise impact on the future of the concept of the European Health Union? If if the Beating Cancer Plan is a success, does that that give us a greater chance on other health areas, for example in cardiovascular, to to take similar initiatives in in future parliaments? Yes, uh, for sure.
5: We're very much uh, looking forward and Following very closely on the implementation of the European Beating Cancer Plan. Why? Uh, as you know, um, for, for oncological diseases, the risk factors are shared by other non communicable diseases. And I think if we manage to, pardon my expression, if we manage to pull this off, we're not only have, going to have an enormous impact on cancer and on the cancer outcomes in the EU, but we will also have important outcomes for other non-communicable diseases, such as cardiovascular disorders. So um, we're we're following very closely. We know this will have a, a rebound effect for other NCDs and this is something that Before, when I started, I was a bit cautious, okay, we have this cancer plan, what about all the other diseases? But I think this is the first stone um, set for uh, the European Union then to see all other diseases according to their disease burden for its citizens and help to better tackle in the parts that we can legislate meaning in the risk factors, we can reduce exposure to risk factors. We can legislate in order to increase exposure to protective factors. We can legislate for people um, to have, uh, um, or we cannot legislate on, on provision of care, but we can set some of the guidelines on what needs to be done in regards to prevention in regards to treatment, on regards to follow up, to right to be forgotten, for instance, this is something that it has already been a legislation in Portugal that I hope other Member States can follow. And it's very important for an oncological patient to to have that opportunity, the right to be forgotten uh, when it comes to to its uh, integration in society. So just to unveil
0: um,
5: the potential of this plan in uh, the EU health legislation.
0: Sarah, thank you for joining us and thanks for all you do, not just for the European cancer community, but across healthcare, speaking up for for patients across and citizens across Europe in the European Parliament. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Thank, everyone, for thanks, having Sarah. me. Sarah. Let's go to John Ryan now, Deputy Director-General at DG Santé. Uh, John, of course, you've been following the inequalities questions for several years. I remember when I worked in cardiovascular, you talking on the topic. Um, to what extent do you think informed evidence and collaboration can improve the policy response to the inequalities issues.
6: Thank you very much. Uh, So my impression is that the Cancer Inequalities Registry is quite an innovative approach. Uh, I'm not aware that we have followed this approach in in previous um, uh, EU initiatives. So it's really something that we have been learning and doing. I would say it's really important as well to take account of the availability of data and not to Um, invent data which would undermine the credibility of the tool. So one of the key points I would say in the inequalities registry is is a focus on validated accepted data rather than incomplete data sets for example because this will not give you the picture and and strangely enough um, by the way if you're uh, missing data it's likely to be in those places where the inequalities are biggest so it doesn't really solve the problem to use data where uh, there's a number of gaps on the map but those gaps are in the places exactly where you want to have uh, data on so i would speak in favor of trying to encourage member states and and organizations to contribute to the inequalities tool uh, but in the sense of uh, encouraging um, regular survey data regular collection of uh, information which uh, is comparable and is solid, because you're really undermining your case if you if you start using data which is incomplete. Second point is there was a reference made to patients' experience, and I just wanted to mention that with the OECD, we're, we're working on a major, I don't want to steal Caroline's uh, lines here, but we're working on a major project which is called PARIS. It's a, it's a survey of patient experience and feedback and during the Health uh, Committee of the OECD, very soon we'll be hearing the first uh, results from the pilot project. Now, the OECD is not the EU in the sense that the OECD has uh, is a collection of countries with uh, high GDP and, and well organised um, health systems. So the, the European Union has a more variable um, setup, I would say, and therefore we would need to see whether the Paris initiative on patient rec- recorded uh, um, experience is something that we could scale up at the European Union level, but that's really why we're supporting it just to see this uh, approach. Third point is in relation to the cancer plan. Now there were a lot of remarks made about you know not having enough data to measure the inequalities. I would say and repeat a point that uh, has just been made by our colleague from the European Parliament, many of the items in the cancer plan are actually of a legislative nature and therefore it's not really a question of measuring the inequalities but measuring the implementation of that legislation i mean i don't want to go over the list again but we have uh, regulations on air quality which will have an impact on um as we know from from the recent conference in paris there's there's a there's a close link there between air quality and cancer Carcinogenic substances in the workplace. Everybody has to go to the workplace. So why is there, uh, there is a, a European um, regulation on carcinogenic substance in the workplace. Same with tobacco, same with the right to be forgotten, which we're developing at the moment, same with alcohol labeling, same with the European reference networks, same with the European health data space, and same with the reform of the common agricultural policy. All of these examples are legislative examples. And in principle, they should apply equally across the 27. so i think that's an important point to make that some of the items in the cancer plan are things where there might be uh, an inequality to be measured at national level but many are based on uh, a legislative process and my Absolutely. last point in relation to the effect on other um, non-communicable diseases let me just mention here that the commission has launched something which is based on the cancer plan, but which covers a number of other non-communicable diseases. It's called Healthier Together. And the idea is to try and draw on the links between non-communicable diseases and their determinants. So for example, um, as our colleague from the parliament was saying, there are many common determinants for non-communicable diseases. It doesn't really make sense to have a silo approach. That's why we've ha- we have the cancer plan on the one hand, but we also have a plan which looks at implementing the SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals, uh, through uh, targeted action on non-communicable diseases. Thank you, Mike.
0: No, thanks, John. Let's go to Caroline, uh, since you mentioned the work that OECD is doing. Caroline, could you tell us a little bit about uh, how you're going about the uh, work that you're doing for the Commission and and what you're finding, what you're seeing in terms of uh, inequalities in, in cancer across Europe? Caroline.
7: Thank you, Mike. Thanks for the invitation. It's a pleasure to be there. Um, so, yeah, um, in the context of the Europe beating cancer plan and with the support of the European Commission, the OECD works on two different uh, outputs to shed light on cancer inequalities. So the first output is a series of country cancer profile on cancer care and prevention. So one for each EU member state plus Norway and Iceland. So these concept profiles will be published uh, quite soon in February, 2023. And the second output is the production of an overall report on the state of cancer care and prevention in the European Union to be published by February, 2024. So one year after the publication of the concept profile. So maybe let me just focus on uh, the production of the first output, the cancer profile, and to to explain uh, the objective of these profiles and the methodologies that we use at the OECD. Um, So in terms of objective, um, we, we want to identify trends in cancer burden and cancer care between and within EU countries and Iceland, Norway, to showcase disparities and highlight inequalities. So these cancer profiles will provide both cross country and country specific knowledge on the state of cancer care and prevention in each country. So this will contribute to evidence based policy making in Europe. Um, in terms of methodology, uh, we first rely on a combination of quantitative data from existing data sources. So, from Eurostat, for example, OECDL statistics, GlobalCon, and other sources. But what is, it, what is important to know is that to identify country-specific information and ensure a good understanding of the context in each country. We conducted a series of interviews and focus groups last May 2022 with national stakeholders having expertise in policy, epidemiology and cancer care. So by using both the qualitative and quantitative data, the profiles will have a real added value compared to other existing work. It will reflect the specific experience of each country and it will also focus on policy implications. So the overall objective is to guide investments and policy action at EU national and regional levels, and also under the Europe Beating concept plan. Uh, Maybe to finish on on this uh, concept country profile, um, I would like maybe just to uh, present the main areas covered in this concept profiles. So we cover four main uh, topics. Um, The first one is uh, an overview of cancer burden in each country. Uh, Then, uh, we analyse risk factors for cancer and prevention policies that are implemented in each country. Third, we give some information on early detection programmes in the country and whether they are planned to extend uh, the current programmes to other cancer sites. And lastly, we provide an analysis of cancer care performance. So, in terms of accessibility, care quality, costs, and where possible, an analysis of the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on cancer care. So, uh, I think I gave you a good overview of uh, our work at OECD on cancer inequality.
0: Thanks Thanks very much. Back to you, Mike. Thank you, Caroline. Thanks very much indeed. Let's go to André Bowie because Andre Leeds cancer for the World health Organization of course, can give us a perspective from outside Europe and for the who definition of Europe, which of course is much bigger than the eu twenty seven and Andre, I know that you have experience on organizing healthcare services in a way that promotes equity and advocating for that uh, i 'd like to, you to talk on that, but also we work, we're working to with each other on Ukraine at the moment, and one of the impacts of the Ukraine war is access to uh, clinical trials for patients, not, uh, not only in Ukraine, but that's an access equity issue as well. Andre, can you give us your perspective on the work that's going on in Europe, in the European Union, and how that sits with your experience globally?
8: Thank you, Mike, and really thank you to the European Health Forum and the organizers for putting together such an important topic. From the perspective of cancer control planning as we see it at a global level, what we're now promoting for is embedding inequities into all steps of cancer program development in the development of cancer policies. And ultimately, as we heard from the esteemed pan- panelists, how it's implemented. Because in fact, every action that we take in cancer control programs has an implication on equity. The example you bring up, Mike, is a very good one. Service organization. As we look at how we organize cancer centers, how we credit and how we regulate them, in some situations, we may, in fact, exacerbate inequalities with the intent to improve access to high-quality care. So this is part of what we see as an important area of work in cancer control programs. When we introduce new policies and programs, are we measuring the impact that it has on access and on outcomes? We heard today a few important points. First is, how do we measure inequalities? As a point of reference, of course, cancer survival, which is the outcome of interest is an indicator that can take five or 10 years to change depending on an intervention done today. So it is important, as we heard from John, to define what types of indicators are sensitive and are valid for us as we measure the interventions that are being proposed. As you also rightly raised, Mike, one of the points that we focus on is access to clinical trials. Because in many ways, this is a barometer for how we can improve cancer care in every dimension. When we talk about clinical trials, it's important to note, and we heard Ivana raise it uh, well, technical, technological innovation is important. The availability of new products and how they're brought to the market. But we also want to talk about other types of innovation. How can we include social or organizational innovations in the broader landscape of clinical trials? How can they be made and driven by communities inclusive of their perspectives, the vulnerable populations that we heard you raise, Mike, and in that regard, orient clinical trials and research in cancer around a broader agenda, not just about products, but how we can access care. What we saw in Ukraine, of course, is disruption in clinical trials, not only again as it pertains to products, but how the Ukrainian government already was taking leadership in organizing cancer services to ensure that they're available even to the most vulnerable.
0: Thank you, Andre. And let's go back to John, because some of us uh, working in the European cancer community, John, have been characterising the cancer community's calls over many years for EU intervention and investment in cancer care, like waiting for a bus. And now it's like 10 buses have arrived in a row. There's all of this intervention, all of this investment from the European, uh, from the EU. Uh, to deliver the Beating Cancer Plan and the cancer mission. How do you think DG Santé is holding up on the implementation side of this? Because in big initiatives like this, you would know better than anyone. The devil's in the implementation. How, do you, how, how is your self-assessment on how it's, how it's going?
6: Yeah, thank you very much, Mike. And in fact, uh, you've reminded me of something I wanted to say earlier on, which is the fact that we have also developed and published a regularly updated implementation plan which shows the list of each action and exactly who is supposed to be implementing it and by when. So I would say we have a very good tracking tool um, in order to see uh, the progress on the different points. Now, uh, you talked about a whole series of buses arriving at the same time, in fact, the from our perspective, the, we tried to spread these things out a little bit because, of course, it's difficult to manage five or six legislative changes all at the same time. So, for example, the alcohol labelling uh, initiative will be coming a little bit later than some of the other ones. For example, on um, on uh, on tobacco. So there is a differential uh, implementation um, schedule, I would say. And that's a public document. So everybody can look at it and say, well, this is not true or that you've forgotten that. Uh, we would welcome feedback from stakeholders and it's regularly updated. Uh, that's one point. Um, second point is, I think in my time in the Commission, it's the first time when we've had so substantial financial resources available. And I really feel a responsibility for using those resources in the most clever way. Uh, I would say there are two main blocks where this uh, financial uh, resource would be used. The first, uh, of course, is in relation to strengthening of health systems uh, following the COVID outbreak. So we saw, of course, that society is very weak in terms of uh, a situation where our health systems are not capable of preparing and responding to a major cross-border threat. Therefore, a lot of the money uh, which has been allocated to the health program is allocated to strengthening of health systems for cross-border threats, including a new initiative on on, um, procuring uh, medical countermeasures, the so-called Health Emergency Response Authority. So making sure we have vaccines when we need them, in other words. But the other uh, major initiative for which 4 billion euros has been allocated uh, is the Cancer Plan. We've also taken money and and support from the Horizon Europe program, where uh, we have the Cancer Mission, which is a similar set of initiatives um, on cancer research in particular, which go hand in hand with the Cancer Plan. And then finally, I would mention the fact that we have the Recovery and Resilience Fund, which is the first time that the European Union was enabled by the Council to um, to create borrowed uh, funding, and just to mention there that four billion euros for the Europe beating cancer plan, forty billion euros already spent in the member states on healthcare reform. So ten times more than we're spending on the health program, on the cancer plan. We're spending on. Uh, uh, strengthening of our health systems. These all go hand in hand. And looking at the cancer plan on its own, I think is is reducing the importance of the investment that's being made.
0: Thank you, John. And we're going to hear uh, the perspective of patients in a moment, John. But before you go, I hope it's not... Um... I hope it 's not rude to call you a veteran of the of dG santé if you 're still there you haven 't walked off john when i 've said that have you no you 're still there okay um, what do you think about this whole uh, conference in Gastein is all looking at the question of of moonshot and european health union you 've been around the block you 've seen different uh, commissions come and go what's what 's your take on how likely progress will be made on the European Health Union in the coming um, decade?
6: Well, we've seen that the European Health Union uh, has reinforced already the two agencies, the ECDC and the European Medicines Agency. In a few days, the cross-border health threats regulation will be reinforced substantially. And finally, we have the part dealing with HERA, which is the Health Emergency Response Authority. So we have, I would say, accomplished a certain number of new tools. And as Jean Monnet, who is the founder of Europe, uh, the European concept, shall we say, he said that Europe is built on, on crisis. I'm translating that roughly from French. But it's quite true that looking back, uh, crises are very often an occasion for Europe to move forward because I think people recognize in a crisis that we work uh, clo- if we work closely together, we can achieve something. And you are chairing our group, for example, Mike, bringing together all the NGO groups on Ukraine and health. And I appreciate that very much because this is a way we can federate our not only our member states, not only using our budgetary resources, but also bringing all the NGO community together to support our our situation in in Ukraine. So I would say the European Health Union is something that's a little bit difficult to grasp hold of. There are some concrete elements and there's some less concrete elements. But I think if you take it all together, it's definitely moving forward. Better, I would call it a moonshot or not, I don't know, because that's
0: an amazing <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you, John, for being so open. And to our other guests, uh, to Sarah, who is now in the Envy Committee, and to André Bowie from the WHO and Caroline Burchet from OECD. We're very grateful for your time and insight and transparency. Now let's go to the European Cancer Patient Coalition, um, because Adela, you've been working on a, a survey of cancer patients that on the inequalities issue that you'd like to share with us. Adela. Uh,
9: Good morning, and thank you, Mike, for the introduction. Well, um, I would like to start by uh, saying that um, um, the the social inequalities in cancer have been been actually uh, defined for the very first time um in the european guide on quality improvement on comprehensive cancer control which was the the outcome of the joint action on on cancer <coughs>
5: the
9: so-called uh, cancon guide and uh, th- this initiative ran between 2014 and 2017 and ecpc was also a partner and uh, within this guide the social inequalities in cancer are defined as health inequalities that uh, span the full cancer continuum and involve social inequalities in the prevention, incidence, prevalence, detection, treatment, uh, but also survival, mortality, and burden of of cancer and other cancer-related health conditions and behaviors. And the fifth uh, chapter of the CanCon guide uh, called uh, tackling uh, social inequalities in cancer prevention and control uh, for the European population, uh, describe actually the main areas when one can find um, inequalities in cancer care, namely the fact that in Eastern Europe, the mortality rates for many cancers are above the European average. Then the fact that Western and Northern Europe, uh, Northern European countries also have social inequalities in, in cancer care, such as low survival rates for lung, colorectal, and ovarian cancers in the UK and Denmark, as compared to, to Norway and Sweden. At the same time, uh, the guy points out the fact that some European countries have inadequate access to surgery, to radiotherapy, and the essential and personalized medicine treatments, and uh, also that access to innovative treatment interventions uh, are also inadequate in uh, in some European countries. So yes, inequalities are a fact uh, at present, and uh, here in this slide, I just uh, um, uh, added some uh, concrete facts, some numbers about disparities in cancer screening across Europe, and why I chose particular cancer screening. Uh, it's uh, given the attention that uh, 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 that uh, cancer screening receives at the moment the uh, EU level with the revision of the screening recommendations so what do we know is that the the five year survival rate after treatment is about 52 percent in eastern european countries compared to 63 percent in western europe Uh, also cervical cancer incidence and mortality rates in romania are three times higher than in other european countries for breast cancer countries such as bulgaria romania and estonia have the five year survival rate between. 75, 78%, while Nordic and Western countries um, have the same rate between 82 and 87%. Uh, therefore, uh, back in uh, 2018, the European Cancer Patient Coalition, together with ERTC, um have started a survey to, to map the legal uh, provisions in social and employment laws afforded to, to uh, people with cancer. And the survey... Uh, uh, pointing out some um, challenges uh, faced by by the cancer patients in different member states, um, namely patients undergoing acute treatment, um, cancer survivors, and also uh, patients with advanced metastatic uh, cancer, uh, and including also, uh, of course, their carers. Uh, This survey um, was called the the Europe of Inequalities, Social and uh, Employment Matters Related to Cancer Care. And one of the main aspects that uh, it showed from the start is uh, something that was actually well uh, debated uh, um, here um, a few minutes ago, uh, namely the fact that there are social inequalities in cancer incidence and survivor, uh, both between and within european countries but there are also some other um, important aspects that uh, uh, the survey showed namely that um, cancer is typified by treatment plans which are burdensome and have a heavy toll on all aspects of quality of life which include physical functioning and also the emotional well-being with prolonged recovery times in some cases and another relevant aspect is the financial toxicity and i will come back to this uh, in a few moments Uh, the financial uh, toxicity that is normally originating from the loss of income from uh, care expenses and other factors but this results in an important but yet understudied threat to patient and to, to to their family quality of life after the diagnosis and poor outcome of treatments and um the the survey responses revealed that there are considerable discrepancies in policies and practices across the the countries surveyed in terms of the cancer disability and the benefits for patients and carers the survey pointed out that a diagnosis of uh, uh, cancer does not automatically trigger benefits entitlement for patients also, that cancer disability, unlike other disabilities, is potentially unstable. The patient will face uh, different uh, cycles of invasive therapy and periods of, of surveillance entailing uh, frequent access to, to medical facilities. And the wait time, that is normally around several months in, in many countries, uh, for the assessments or for decisions from assessments, is a potential stressor, which could be detrimental to both emotional and the financial Uh, the financial well-being of a patient. Then, of course, the employment issues. Because despite uh, a new wide commitment to to equality and human rights at work, the employment rights of people with cancer appear to be very different according to the country. Because the entitlements to to paid sick leave are very variable across Europe because uh, a diagnosis with cancer does not prompt a guaranteed period of paid leave, regardless of the severity of symptoms, of the prognosis, of the treatment, or uh, the after effects. And in many countries, those in employment who wish to continue work following um, a diagnosis with cancer or are forced uh, forced to, to work due to financial constraints, cannot assume that their employer Uh, will be accommodating with this. Uh, At the same time, the carers uh, do not qualify for legal rights in Europe and at best can expect a limited amount of unpaid and or some other form of job flexibility, depending on the employer's goodwill. Uh, the entitlement to to flexible working arrangements for carers is not universal and may compel some individuals, unfortunately, to leave the labor market involuntarily. Then the uh, the self-employed workers, unfortunately, are much more financially vulnerable than the, the employees when diagnosed with cancer, because Frequently, uh, the self-employed are treated as more self-sufficient than the employed ones, and um, uh, those with, without private insurance are left to, to actually fight for themselves. So, some in, in these consequences, uh, in these circumstances, some may be forced to to continue working when they are not fit enough to do so, or uh, rely on disability benefits. So. Only few governments offer some support to those caring for a person with cancer. Uh, Regarding the pension rights, um, there is often some uh, government compensation for periods of ill health, um, which unfortunately result in gaps when calculating uh, pension contributions. And um, it's... The same also for the, the carers, because only a limited number of countries offer offer uh, some similar provisions for carers, but overall, uh, overall uh, carers of people with cancer can expect some loss to their pensions as well and another uh, very important aspect as i mentioned earlier is the the financial toxicity the financial discrimination against uh, cancer patients and survivors and this is an important project that the european cancer patient coalition um dr francois monnier that is a member of our scientific committee leads on this at the european level what we know is that only in few countries providers of financial products and services Uh, have a duty not to discriminate, but the extent to which compliance with this occurs is definitely uncertain. Um, Mortgage and leasing arrangements appear to be less affected by cancer diagnosis per se, but are anyway affected by reduced ability to pay which can be a secondary effect um, of a cancer diagnosis and also by discriminatory access to, to collateral insurance policies. And the right to be forgotten law, unfortunately, is not uh, yet well um, widespread and it tends to apply um, in specific countries like France, Belgium, Luxembourg, the Netherlands, Portugal, and very recently also in Romania.
0: Adela? So, can we, we can we just finish in the next minute uh, on your presentation? It's very interesting stuff, and we'll make sure that your slides are available to the audience. We're just finishing up the session now, so maybe you could c- conclude. Uh,
9: yes, so I, I want to point out that uh, uh, the results of this uh, survey have not been uh, presented yet, However, um, we are updating uh, the information and we hope that this will fit in well in the inequalities registry. And um, I truly believe that uh, it's policy that leads the way and uh, can drive the change in this matter. And uh, uh, in this sense, ECPC uh, advocates for very important uh, uh, aspects that are directly and indirectly linked with uh, Uh, with addressing inequalities in cancer care and uh, one relevant aspect that has not been uh, mentioned um, or is normally uh, forgotten is the the investment in health and digital health literacy which um, because an individual's uh, health status depends pretty much on uh, their level of health literacy as well and of course, there are uh, other aspects regarding to uh, the patient lack of uh, information about uh, how they can access the European reference networks and how they can benefit for them, uh, from them. And also the, the need to uh, have uh, comprehensive cancer centers where uh, cancer patients can access multidisciplinary oncological services. And I would like to, to conclude by saying that yes, inequalities can be tackled in order to to make uh, the EU a better place for the the cancer patients, uh, and we are talking about the EU where um, equality um, is and has been a value for a very long time. And uh, with this, I would like to thank you for your attention.
0: No, thank you, Adela, and very inf- interesting information from cancer patients. There, um, I'm going to ask the panel for a one sentence summary on the issue on what we've heard. ...in this session uh, today. I'm going to also ask the tech team to put up the final slide... ...if we can, on the European Cancer Pulse... ...which will be launched on the 16th of November. Um, Andreas, let's start with you. Just one sentence? Yeah. Okay. But you're the boss, so let's make it two.
2: Okay. So, (laughs) from what we have heard today from everyone... uh, ...we come to conclude that inequalities are out there. They are very complex... It needs a heavy level of data in order to have relevant decision-making both on the EU level, but also on the ground. We shouldn't be forgetting that inequalities is not just about the numbers. Each number represents a change in somebody's life and that we should never forget that. Thank you.
0: Ivana?
3: Two sentences. (laughs) I have a question. I have a question for everybody. Um, I think uh, us as a community, society, we have a choice in tackling inequalities. Either we use a short-sight, short-term approach, and we squeeze on cost containment measure, ignoring the need of the many patients, ignoring the outcome we had until now, making no room for innovation, or we take an alternative route. We leverage the cancer plan, the cancer mission, all the initiatives that are there, in order to truly redesign and reconceive the way cancer care uh, is there, again, as a blueprint for other areas as well, and really breaking a little bit the stigma. So innovation can make our system more resilient and more sustainable. Contrary to what everybody thinks, that innovation is creating the crisis, is creating inequalities. No, think think about that, it's the opposite, and if you want to learn more, reach out because we have uh, several initiatives in the oncology platform going on in that direction. So think also in your own real life, sometimes when we push the button on cost, uh, the quality of what we have goes down when we invest on quality costs over term goes down so think about how we can tackle inequality with a new paradigm and really making innovation at the service of solving the issue of inequalities
0: thomas you're not going to ignore me as well are you go on <laughs>
1: No, but I'll, I'll try to be brief. So, so I just want to reiterate what I said during my presentation. I, I think the provision of timely, timely data is, is, is very important. With COVID, we were able to pull it off. We got daily updates on the number of diagnoses, on the number of hospitalizations. And when we started vaccinating, we knew day by day what is the vaccination coverage in, in a country. Um, so somehow our health systems were able to pull this off, to use Sarah's expression. Uh, but we're not able to do this with cancer or any other diseases. I don't know why. I mean, we should be able to do this. So, so let's focus on that. And the other thing that I want to reiterate is um, the fact that the beating cancer plan is great, but it needs the buy-in from the member states. We have seen this with the uh, council recommendation on screening in 2003 on breast cancer screening, colorectal cancer screening, and cervical cancer screening. It took the region that I live in, in southern Sweden, 17 years, until 2020 to implement or start implement colorectal cancer screening, we're still rolling it out. So it's still not fully done. 17 years. Now we have received new recommendations from the Commission on screening, lung cancer, prostate cancer, gastric cancer. If it takes again 17 years to implement that, then we're all already in 2040. We we, we cannot afford this, uh, not for the patients
0: uh, and for our society. A lot of commas there. <laughs> Um, Well, listen, thanks to our panel here. Thanks to Anna for keeping me under control and making my life easy with the uh, questions. Thanks to all of you here in Gastein for joining us bright and early this morning. And thanks to you uh, watching online. Uh, We hope you continue to enjoy the European Health Forum in Gastein. Uh, The European Cancer Pulse will be launched at the European Cancer Summit on the 16th of November during our inequalities session at nine o'clock. I'm Mike Morrissey from the European Cancer Organization. Thanks for being with us. Bye-bye.